Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. I'm going to be honest with you. I think the Georgia fans deserve better than what they've gotten here this week. I want to walk through the next couple of minutes for why I think a statement coming out from the SEC yesterday given to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution was not good enough. And if you're a Georgia fan, I think you're well within your rights to ask for more, even though you likely won't get it. People kind of want to make fun of you for even expecting it. Uh, But nonetheless, we are not going to sit here and allow anyone to treat any of you like you're stupid. Frankly, I don't like being treated like I'm stupid uh, as a representative of the Georgia fan base overall. I don't want any of us treated like we're stupid. But apparently, even though I am a pretty pro SEC guy and I love the SEC championship, I'm very proud to have my favorite team a part of the Southeastern Conference. Apparently, the leadership sometimes in a league like this is perhaps no different than any other big organization, perhaps falling prey to the temptation to believe that the people who are kind of below them are just sort of dumb and will accept whatever nonsense is shoveled in their direction. Maybe there's an example of this. Let me walk you through this. You can judge this for yourself. So the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reached out to the SEC about the controversial play near the end of the first half in the game against Georgia and Alabama on Saturday, the one where Isaiah Bond made a diving, what appeared to be sort of miracle-style catch. And yet on replay, when you go back and rewatch on the CBS broadcast, It certainly made it seem like that was not an actual catch, that uh, Bond used the ground too much to secure the football, and therefore it's a call that should have been overturned. And in the moment, as you know, if you were in the stadium watching on TV or whatever else, that the big question was, well, how come that play was not reviewed? How come the play wasn't stopped to take a additional further look at all of this? Well, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reached out to the SEC about that. And frankly, I find the statement that the SEC provided in response to this incredibly lacking and an absolute disappointment on the part of the SEC. They didn't give more than this. Let me... uh show this to you on the screen i'll read it to you the statement that an sec spokesman gives the atlanta journal constitution about the isaiah bond catch the statement goes this way the play was reviewed every play is reviewed in the video center but some are stopped for further review the play you reference was reviewed and it was determined there was not enough video evidence to overturn the call and not necessary to stop the play for further review That is a statement from an SEC spokesman to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And my question back to the SEC is, how stupid do you think we are? Do you think we're idiots? Do you think we are drooling fools? Do do you think that we're just going to lap that up and buy it because it comes with the veneer of respectability because it's an SEC official making a statement to a newspaper? Like, like, are we just going to accept that as truth? If you're watching the game in real time, The one thing you know is the bond catch and then the following play occurs in a matter of seconds. Very, very quick. Are we to believe that the SEC in the the space of those small number of seconds, are we to believe that somehow that was enough time 
to determine definitively that the bond catch no need to look at this we're sure we're completely sure that this is such a uh, a clear and and uh, obvious catch there's no need to stop the game there's no need to radio down to the referee there's no need to interrupt this tv broadcast we have done our due diligence we have watched the replay in like a matter of seconds and we're sure that everything's fine that's what the sec would have us to believe because apparently they must think we're stupid and if they don't think we're stupid then they should treat us better and provide us more dignity than a statement like this perhaps provides because honestly it's insulting they would think that we would just take this at face value and say well there you go that settles it that solves everything now i want you to hear me for the next uh, couple of seconds as a setup for the rest of this conversation i am not here to tell you that the Isaiah Bond situation here is what cost Georgia the game and therefore it can all be pointed back to officials and blame, 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 blame. That's not what I'm here to not that's not what I'm here to tell you. Nor am I here to tell you that the SEC had it out for Georgian because the league offices in Birmingham and all of this, therefore they were, you know, trying to do anything they could do to prop up Alabama. I actually don't assume any nefarious intent. I don't assume any malice. I assume I mean, generally speaking in life, if you if you assume incompetence, uh, if, if, if you will assume a lack of competency, you'll be more right, you know, uh, more often than when you assume malice. And so I generally assign, you know, bad behavior to a lack of competence more so than a lack of, uh, uh, you know, I guess good morals or something like that. I, I, you know, I sort of chalk things up to, to people just not being very good at their job. And I would say in most cases, that's what, you know, oftentimes ends up happening with officiating. I don't assume malice on the part of the SEC, but if you pass this off to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution as if it's the truth, well, now I wonder, is there something going on? Like, I, you know, it's not my intent to believe that there is, but if you're willing to sort of spew what is, to me, to be frankly here, an obvious lie, if you're willing to do that, well, now I do kind of wonder, well, if you'll lie about this, what won't you lie about? You know, this idea that in a matter of seconds between the end of the bond catch, allegedly, and the next play, oh, we had time to review that. Uh, if you'll lie about this, then what won't you lie about? I think that's a very fair question. I think it's a question that probably deserves to be answered because if the replay, according to the SEC, determined there was no further review needed, then according to the rules expert in the broadcast booth for CBS on Saturday night, these replay people who only spent a couple of seconds to do their job, apparently they still got it wrong. Let me show this to you from Gene Steratore from the CBS broadcast there that night saying, I think you stopped the game at that point prior to that snap. This is him talking about the uh, bond catch into the, into the first half. Then you slow this down, you take all the angles, and re- review it. And in my opinion, Gene Sturator says, this is the rules expert, former longtime NFL official, working as the rules expert on the CBS broadcast. In my opinion, Sturator says, that when you have possession this way, you are going to the ground. That football hits the ground. And, it, and if it moves in any way, then in my opinion, the football has aided you in finalizing the catch. That's what Gene Steratore said they should have been looking at. Steratore also went on to say that further review of that would determine that's exactly what happened. The catch should have been overturned. At the very least, it should have been reviewed. The SEC says, well, guess what? You don't have to worry your pretty little heads about that. You know, we did review it. We, we, we review every play, so we reviewed this one just like that. So don't you worry your pretty little face about any of this kind of stuff. We, 
we'll 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 figure this stuff out for all of y'all and y'all just keep watching the games and spending your money and things like that and you trust us to make all the really big decisions because we review all of this and we we just all got it taken care of so obviously that's nonsense it's at least misunderstanding the competency of your audience who's hearing a statement like that if it's not right an outright lie and frankly i think the sec owes all of georgia fans a better answer than the one it gave to the atlanta journal constitution yesterday and while i don't think you should blame that specific play on the loss by georgia i do think you should be outraged the sec thinks you would accept that statement at face value clearly you all are too smart to just do that now the other part of all of this is well you know kirby smart could have called a timeout that there's this thing of well it's actually kirby smart's fault that the play wasn't reviewed because of the fact that he did have a timeout remaining and perhaps giving these officials more time they could have actually done what they said they did in terms of looking at this a little bit further stopping it slowing it down in the slow motion process to see what's actually going on there and for what it's worth even after the game on saturday kirby smart even acknowledged that there was a role that he perhaps could have played in all of this this is what smart said after the game on saturday you know, I don't know. You're, you're, talk, you're talking first half. Yeah, first half, yeah, right before yeah. the, the halftime. The first staple of any review is they review it up top, you know, and they go quick. So for me to ask for a review, it cost me a timeout, but they get to watch it. So I was not aware of, uh, of it being called or not called. I mean, I guess you're saying the replay showed that he didn't catch it, and that was an extremely critical play in the game because they, they go on to score there. So I want to make something pretty clear here for a moment. I am not about to try to carry Kirby Smart's water for all of this because, listen, this is a fan-friendly forum type type show. People respond to me on social media. They put comments in, in, into the chat. If you want to give Kirby Smart grief for Georgia losing to Alabama, my advice to you is have at it. You know, you're allowed to think and say whatever you want to. You want to criticize Kirby Smart for losing this game? I would say knock yourself out. You know, you know, go to work there on that. I'm not his lawyer. I don't work for Georgia. I simply provide a conversation try to facilitate a conversation among georgia fans if you're mad at kirby after the georgia alabama game by all means do so but in terms of blaming smart in particular for this particular moment i can't logically do that because i can't blame kirby smart for an officiating error and it's important to understand that college football and professional football the nfl are completely different in the nfl you have the red challenge flag you throw the flag that that the the decision to stop play rest with the coach and college football it's not set up that way it is supposed to be what the sec says it did in this particular spot it's supposed to be viewed overhead and controlled overhead it's the coach's job to coach and it's the officiating the the official's job to officiate and it's the replay official's job to oversee the officials on the field and in this particular case it's not kirby smart who didn't do his job it's the actual officiating process that did not function the way that it's supposed to so if you want to hammer kirby smart hammer him for how he manages players don't handle don't hammer him for how he managed the officials because ultimately that's not his role in all of this he is not a check and balance on the officiating on the field that's supposed to be the replay officials now there's probably a thousand reasons why they actually didn't stop it because a most of the replay officials are themselves former officials and they don't like to tell their colleagues they messed up there's some of that at play here 
the TV broadcast probably doesn't function quite as well when you're stopping to review everything every five seconds. So there's sort of a built-in bias against stopping play too much, although they did stop it for some tedious stuff later on in the game, including an obvious catch by Arian Smith, which kind of sort of speaks to more of the absolute nonsense and easily falsifiable statement that the uh, SEC gave the Atlanta Journal-Constitution yesterday. But the point is, you're free to criticize Kirby Smart for how he deployed his players, but I don't think you're free to criticize him for how he managed the officials because that's not his job. And this idea, well, you got to call timeout, that's not the same thing as a challenge flag because all you do is give them more time, and who's to say they would have behaved the way that you wanted them to even with that timeout? And as I've also told some of our audience on you know uh the show here this week including our you know our rs andrews cool down at the end of the show look i've also stood on the sidelines for some of these games you know within 10 15 feet of where kirby smart's standing there coaching there's a thousand things going on at any one point in time and in terms of what you want kirby smart to be doing if you're a georgia fan you want him thinking about the 11 players that are on the field and the way in which they're going to get lined up the next snap. I don't think you want him looking backwards to should this be reviewed and 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 you know should we be you know calling time? I don't think that's where you want Kirby Smart's focus. And you know this idea, well, somebody will be watching the TV broadcast. They ought to let Kirby Smart know call that time out. Look, the TV broadcast you're watching is 10, 15 seconds behind uh, what's happening in real time anyway. And that was enough time for Alabama to get up to the line and snap the ball again, something the officials could have prevented by stopping play, but they simply didn't do it. And now they're trying to explain away why exactly that happened. And, you know, for some additional context in all of this, this is the kind of thing that has happened in the SEC before. It happens at all levels, you know, football from time to time in terms of, you know, how some of this officiating stuff works out. But in the SEC in particular, you know, there was a moment in which Lane Kiffin back in 2020, he got fined because he retweeted some fan criticizing something that happened. It was an Auburn Ole Miss game. Frankly, I'm not even sure I even remember what the play was. But I'll show you, uh, you know, this to kind of go back in time here a little bit. Aaron Suttles, who actually now works for Alabama, but was reported at the time saying that uh, Lane Kiffin in the 2020 game, instant replay blew the call sec yeah we blew it uh but the sec still fined lane kiffin twenty five thousand dollars for correctly pointing out that the sec blew it and in that particular moment i want to go back to that 2020 uh season to the statement the sec gave and context for perhaps how things should have been handled um on on this particular saturday there as well the SEC statement was that because the play in question back in 2020 between Auburn and Ole Miss was not properly appropriately stopped for further review, listen to this now, the necessary slow motion view of the play was not reviewed by the replay official to determine if the ruling on the field should have been reversed. The SEC office conducted a review of the play and appropriately communicated findings to Ole Miss head football coach Lane Kiffin. In other words, the SEC says, we admit we made a mistake because we should have slowed it down in slow motion to see for sure if the right call was made on the field. And by not stopping the play for further review, we made a mistake. The SEC has admitted this error before, but in this particular case on Saturday, even though the rules official for CBS, Gene Steratore, said they got it wrong, they're not willing to admit that here right now. Instead, they want us to lap up and buy what is frankly pretty close to a lie that, oh, we reviewed it, a couple of seconds all we need, we saw everything we needed to see, and we just kept play going on. Even though they got it wrong, that's what they want us to believe. Now, I am not here to tell you 
that's the reason that Georgia lost the game. But I am here to tell you that stuff like this ought not be okay. Just telling fans, people who care, people who bet the game, by the way, that they're just supposed to believe whatever the SEC league office throws in their direction. I don't think that's supposed to be okay here. I think fans have a right to ask for more. I think they have a right to be treated better. And when you come and look at this from the larger context of everything happening around college football, I think it's easy to understand why that is. I want to talk more about this, but first, let me take some time here to introduce the show. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. We're presented today by Breda Pass Management. We're happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us today. Live on video, we start 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. 10 a.m. across all video platforms after that. Normally, we're on the radio, Athens Sports Radio 960 The Ref. We are preempted today there in Athens for uh, Lady Dogs basketball. So best of luck to the uh, Lady Dogs there on all of that. And, of course, as a podcast, wherever you find them, including the worldfamousdognation.com. Just happy to have you as a part of the show today. And boy, what a great pleasure it is to have Breda Pass Management bring the show to us here today. I had a chance to talk to Matt Breda on Saturday. I, I joke with him. I, I feel like I see him for sure about once a year at the SEC Championship. And then sometimes we're kind of in the same place uh, at other times of the year too. But always the SEC Championship, it seems. So I saw Matt there on Saturday. Great guy. Uh, terrific sports fan. And just a big part of the UGA community here. You see him in our comment section from time to time. He's obviously fired up about uh, Saturday's game you certainly would imagine that and of course he, he loves taking care of those Georgia fans too because Breda Pest Manager is the official pest control provider of UGA Athletics that means when you make the switch to Breda Pest Manager for your pest control your termite protection when you're doing that you have the prestige of knowing hey I'm working with the same company that's working with UGA that's kind of a cool thing and that means when you're at you know uh, Sanford Stadium or when you're at like say Stegman Coliseum you know keeping bugs out you know last night in Stegman Coliseum some bugs got squashed a lot of you know this uh, Georgia beat georgia tech in uh, basketball last night well the same way those yellow jackets got squashed and sent right back home that's what breda pass management does for you when it comes to your own uh you know bugs and critter problem there as well they're going to take care of your home your venues so to speak the same way they take care of stegman coliseum and sanford stadium and foley field and all those other athletic venues there for uga plus for a business like this that's been in business since 1975 you know got such a great heritage of service through multiple generations 125 employees stretched all across the estate for the most part certainly all across of our market area here uh, when you make that switch to breda pass management they're going to put more money back in your pocket just for making that decision so work with the company that uga works with the official pest control provider of uga athletics and save money for yourself in the process something that truly matters in these days and age finding some way to put more money back in your pocket always a good decision breda pass manager helps you do that so find them online bradapest.com that's b-r-e-d-a bradapest.com for a lot more on that all right coming up in a couple of minutes we're going to have a very good conversation with jake from today and there are a couple of things we're going to get into with jake that i think are really important thing number one is this it's obviously a weird vibe around the orange bowl coming up jake played in a couple of sugar bowls in which georgia obviously kind of fell short of its uh playoff aspirations how do you get ready for that, Jake? How do you compare what happened with Texas in 2018 to what happened against Baylor in 2019? Jake will give you some good insight in what it's going to be like for Georgia over the course of these next couple of weeks. The very, you know, raw, real conversation of who's in, who's out, who really wants to be here. And if you're not all the way bought in, well, maybe stepping away from this program probably makes some sense for you here right now. 
uh, Jake will give you some very real stuff on that coming up. Also, one of the other things we get into with Jake is some insight into perhaps how banged up Georgia truly was in this SEC championship game there on Saturday. And the realization that when Georgia held out, like, say, Brock Bowers in the Georgia Tech game, I think there was a hope that, well, this is just Kirby trying to play it safe here. This is a meaningless game. Therefore, you don't want Brock Bowers. And I can tell you, I told you this on the show and had enough conversations with people privately to assume that when Smart spoke on that final Thursday prior to the SEC championship game, when he really made it be known that the status for guys like Ladd McConkey and Brock Bowers was totally uncertain, totally up in the air, uh, Smile Mondin too, you know, good number of pretty significant injuries for Georgia. When, when he let us be know that was totally uncertain, totally up in the air, I think a lot of people were like, wait, really? What, what's going on here? And I had some uh, conversations with some people on kind of like that final 24 hours prior to the game about Brock Bowers in particular. And, you know, sure enough, there was a belief that actually Bowers wasn't as healthy as he was. Maybe Ole Miss game, the way that when she entered the Tennessee game. You're going to hear Jake Fromm also talk about some of that here coming up in a little bit. The idea that Brock came out of the Tennessee game less healthy than he went into it in and perhaps that's why he didn't play against Tech and perhaps that's why he maybe wasn't his you know you know full best against Alabama this past Saturday interesting context coming up from a Jake Fromm on all of that but prior to that though I want to go around the doghouse and it's poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper and we had such a funny golden shoe yesterday but the uh, Georgia fans saying that uh they were drowning their sorrows in Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream after Georgia missed the playoff. I thought that was really funny. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, Dr. Pepper does bring around the doghouse to us here today. And I want to pick back up on the conversation we were just having and to sort of sum up everything we've already said prior to this. SEC gives a statement about the Isaiah Bond non-catch near the end of the first half saying we reviewed it even though we would all say just using any kind of like normal logic that the average person would have available to them no way that could have easily be done in a matter of seconds in fact in the past the SEC has acknowledged that to really get the best idea of whether a play is correct or not it ought to be stopped play ought to be stopped there ought to be a review process that slows the play down into slow motion to see the accurate situation here Gene Steratore not my words Gene Steratore his word says that's what should have been done here and if that play was reviewed, it would have been overturned. An Alabama possession would have ended. That was obviously fourth down. Who knows how it changes the game? Obviously, Alabama did a lot of things right. They may would have still won the game, of course. We're not boiling this down to one play. But we are looking at the SEC and we're saying, do not treat us like we're stupid. Do not take the, the assumption that we're just going to lap up whatever you give to us and say, well, that settles that. The people in power have reviewed themselves and determined they did nothing wrong, so therefore we have nothing to worry about here. We are obviously far too skeptical to do all of that. And that's kind of the point of Around the Doghouse here today is, is that there is a lot of energy in college football right now, and not all of it is positive. And there are a lot of people who are very suspicious about a lot of things. You know, I talked to you on yesterday's show. We had Dan Patrick saying that he thinks Alabama's playing Michigan because the College Football Playoff Committee doesn't want Michigan to win the national championship. They didn't lift a finger to prevent them from making the playoff, but they would prefer they not win the national championship. That's a pretty prominent voice, just sort of openly expressing a conspiracy theory. We had Deion Sanders, who's obviously an outspoken guy and kind of a media-friendly figure, but he's also a football coach. Like, this is a guy who's a football coach. 
and you know he's a he's a guy that's sort of in the club in some respects and he's been on you know media stuff this week saying that florida state was excluded from the playoff because it's a business and it was sort of viewed as not being you know good for business that florida state you know made the college football playoff so you've got a lot of people right now whether tongue-in-cheek or whether sort of meant to be taken seriously or not they're just like openly questioning the merits of the system they're openly questioning the process by which big decisions are made that in a sport where there's four playoff spots at least for one final year for five power five conferences there is a lot of power given to the decision makers and a lot of people including people who are in the process here they don't trust the people making these decisions and a lot of big a big question being asked right now of well how come this happened how come that happened and is there something going on behind the scenes that's different than what we're being told at face value and that's one of the thing with georgia and the officiating deal and the isaiah bond catch and the sec statement that's why that matters it comes at a time in which distrust between like the average fan and the people who run the sport has never been higher than what it is right now. And I want to kind of use some of the Florida State stuff to sort of back that up for here for a minute because Florida State was the first team to ever be left out of the playoff despite being 13-0 and and a Power 5 conference champion. And a lot of people are kind of wondering, well, how come that happened? How come Florida State got excluded? And one of the things that's really kind of taken a lot of energy here lately is, is the idea that Florida State could not be in the playoff if they didn't have their quarterback because the people who run the college football playoff don't want any more blowouts in the college football playoff. There have been a lot of them in the national semifinals. Georgia won the national championship game 65-7 to last year. There have just been too many blowouts in the college football playoff. And so, therefore, if you can do something to prevent a blowout from perhaps happening, that means that the playoff could be better in the long run. In fact, Kirk Herbstreit has really drawn the ire of a lot of Florida State fans because he's kind of let it be known that he openly campaigned for Alabama to make it over Florida State because, as he said, he was tired of broadcasting blowout losses, that he was just tired of that. There have been too many of those. If Florida State was more likely to get blown out, uh, whether they deserve to be in there or not, all the more reason to just not put them in the playoff in the hopes that you maybe have a closer, more competitive game. A lot of Florida State fans are mad with Kirk Herbstreit because he said that, but that's kind of the the the, the conversation that's sort of generating a, a lot of uh, chatter right now. And, you know, he's not the only one saying that. I want to play Paul Feinbaum for you on ESPN. Uh, this is immediately, I guess this is like Monday earlier this week, about why it was that Florida State was excluded. And Feinbaum, who once again is more than just some blowhard with a microphone, Feinbaum works for the SEC. He is an SEC network employee. He is the most visible and recognized voice, not just in media, but a guy who has actually connected to the league. He is on the network the league owns, which is obviously also owned by ESPN there as well. And Feinbaum also, in a somewhat joking manner, but he's also said this plenty around this there as well but the idea that there was a very obvious reason that the committee didn't want florida state in the playoff and it kind of relates back to what another big espn voice had kind of said the other day let me play you paul feinbaum first and then we'll kind of try to connect all these dots together this is feinbaum on tv this week there's someone that has not been blamed for this i've heard unfathomable i've heard sad day in the sport i've heard travesty but molly give me a second mm, here okay. you know whose fault it is that Florida State 
has been relegated to the Orange Bowl and Alabama's playing in the CFP. Put everybody on the screen for a second, okay. because okay. I want America to watch the reaction. The fault lies with Stephen A. Smith. And the reason for that, of all, of all the commentary, of all the commentators, the person who made the most compelling point in America is Stephen A. And when he said right here last week, we don't want to see TCU back in the championship game losing 65 to 7, I believe very strongly those 13 members of the committee took notice and reacted. So that's Feinbaum in a somewhat joking way, blaming Stephen A. Smith for what Stephen A. Smith had said about why Florida State should not make the playoff. For some further context on that, let me show you this on the screen for those of you watching on video. And if you're listening, I'll read it to you. This is the tweet from Stephen A. Smith about Florida State not making the playoff. He says, condolences to Florida State. They were fantastic. But blame no further than TCU, he means, for why they didn't get in. If they had not gotten destroyed 65-7 to in a national title game against uh, uh, Georgia last year, things might have been different. But we don't need the potential of another slaughter because Florida State doesn't have a quarterback. You simply could not risk it. So that's Stephen A. Smith saying, after 65-7 to a year ago, Florida State can't be in the playoff. Paul Feinbaum somewhat jokingly says, that's the best argument for excluding Florida State. And the, the wisdom here is, whether it's specifically referencing TCU or not, bringing Kirk Herbstreet's words in all of this, too many blowouts. Therefore, we're going to put our thumb on the scale. Even though Florida State, by being 13-0, by being a Power 5 conference champion, by having an argument for being among the most deserving teams, we're to put our thumb on the scale and prevent them from making the playoff because we believe if they played, they'd get blown out. So therefore, we're going to intervene and make sure that doesn't happen. Now, the point I'm getting to is this. That is, whether true or not, an example of the lack of trust that currently exists between college sports fans and people who run college football. That's an example of the lack of trust that's out there. That the committee, when it comes to playoff, says one thing, does another with, as Deion Sanders told us yesterday, business in mind. That is the level of cynicism and the lack of trust that exists between college football fans and the people who run college football. So understanding that lack of trust, the SEC, I believe, needs to be very, very careful when it throws out some flippant, easily falsifiable statement of, oh, yeah, we reviewed the play. We didn't see anything. We investigated ourselves. We found out we did nothing wrong. In an environment where there is so little trust, and by the way, in a society right now, there's not exactly robust levels of trust, but in an environment around college football where there is so little trust, a statement that reads pretty obviously at face value as a lie, you need to be very careful in an environment like that. Because let me tell you what someone could say. I don't believe this is true. But let me tell you what someone could say. If the college football playoff selection committee would be willing to do anything it could to make sure that 65 to 7 doesn't happen again, then obviously it would stand to reason that you would want to keep out the team that might lose 65 to 7. But if 65 to 7 is bad for business, and if Deion Sanders is right, that everything kind of eventually goes back to what's good for business, 
if 65-7 is bad for business, then in addition to keeping out the team that might lose 65-7, to would you maybe want to keep out the team that might win 65-7? to The team that won 65-7 to a year ago? Now, I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think that's what's happening. But in a world in which everything is questioned, why not question that too? In a world in which it's sort of acknowledged in some way, some form, somehow, that there are thumbs being put on the scale to make the games take place that are perhaps best for business and to keep the games closer longer as a way of keeping people tuned in for longer isn't anything a possibility if all of these questions are being answered or should say being asked without very much transparency in terms of the overall answers see that's why you got to be really careful here that's why you've got to be really much more open much more transparent and when a league like the sec delivers a statement it simply needs to be more believable than the one the league gave yesterday. And that is around the doghouse, poured today by our friends at Dr. Pepper. And of course, as you're getting ready to watch some college football, and eventually, I promise you, we'll be in a better mood again. We'll watch these bowl games. We'll, I guess, we'll tune in and watch these college football playoff games there as well. We're going to get in there. We're going to enjoy all of that eventually. We do. The great taste, the one-of-a-kind flavor, the one fans deserve of Dr. Pepper, that's going to be a big part of our game days here once again there as well. So as you're doing some holiday shopping, uh, go to your local Kroger, and you can enjoy uh, some of that. Or wherever you're doing your shopping, you can pick up some Dr. Pepper. Now, I will tell you this. You all know a couple of weeks ago, the uh, National Championship Trophy was here in our studio, and uh, we obviously had a great time with that. But in addition to that, our buddy Jonathan from Dr. Pepper brought us this entire stash of Dr. Pepper. Now, you can't see this. It's over here on this side, you know, away from the view of the camera. It's kind of funny because in addition to me loving it, our good friend Kaylee Manziel, who's producing us today, she loves it as well. And it's kind of funny, day after day, that big stack of Dr. Pepper keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because we keep going through all of this product. So it's a lot of fun. And obviously, we loved Saturday being the SEC championship, seeing the Dr. Pepper all over the place there, the halftime, you know, extravaganza. And by the way, great to see somebody doing the traditional overhand uh, toss with the ad again. Kind of like to see the winner throwing a football traditionally. Those of us who are traditionalists will certainly appreciate all of that. But the point is, we love Dr. Pepper. We are so thankful to have Dr. Pepper bringing around the doghouse to us here today all right we are very long off the top but we'll make up some uh, ground in the air here right now it's a kroger fresh take here coming up really strong stuff from jake from why georgia lost an offense that had been scoring nearly 40 all year long uh not anywhere near that explosive on saturday how banged up was brock bowers in particular jake gives you some stuff on that what happens next as a very, very mysterious sort of bowl environment kind of comes up around UGA. We'll cover all of that ground coming up here with Jake Fromm as part of a Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily here today. And here on Dog Nation Daily, time now for a Kroger Fresh Take is welcoming uh, Jake Fromm to the program here today. And uh, Jake, we were kind of joking a second ago before the conversation started. Sure was hoping this would be a different discussion, you know, staying undefeated, beating Alabama, moving on to the college football playoff. But that is unfortunately not what the uh, cards uh, held for us this past weekend. But nonetheless, I am glad to have you back on the show today. How are you doing today? Yeah, glad to be here as well. Obviously, wish we were under some different uh, circumstances. But um, that's just the way it is. The cards we were dealt, um, nothing we can do about it now. Um, just uh, hope the guys go out and respond and, uh, and show the rest of the country um, just, just what they're made out of and uh, that they should obviously be, be in there as well. Yeah, no doubt about that. You know, so you look at the overall game, and this is an offense for Georgia that had scored, you know, upwards of 40 points seemingly with regularity all year long, or at least for the last certainly couple of months, and yet it's just the 24 points against Alabama there this past Saturday. As a quarterback, 
as someone who understands the intricacies of offense, you know, obviously far more than I do, what did you attribute the lack of success and really kind of establishing the same sort of explosiveness that Georgia had kind of made the hallmark of its season here this year? Yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of different factors um, that obviously go into it. Um, you know, and, and as an offense, you're going to have, you know, 60, 70 plays, and um, the difference in the game really comes down to just a few games. You know, I, I think – uh, as a team, and especially as an offense, I mean, just just being unhealthy at the wrong time, right? I mean, you, mm-hmm. just, you can see Brock. I mean, he's just battling it out every single play uh, just to grind through it. Ladd wasn't healthy as well. Um, and then, you know, Marius Mims, he comes out, um, you know, at some point in the first half, and you lose your right tackle. And uh, I just think throughout the game, uh, offensively especially, they were just trying to, to set a presence um, in the trenches uh, with the run game with the offensive line. And, you know, to a certain extent they did it. Um, but it was the first game in a while where Carson, you know, didn't have four-plus seconds to throw the ball. Yeah. And, um, as a quarterback, uh, you know, that, that's, kind of, that's kind of tough. You're, you're having to, to make decisions and, and, and see stuff open that ain't quite there yet. Um, and, you know, you don't have your best guys out there at 100%. It makes it very tough. Yeah, you mentioned Brock Bowers a moment ago. You know, it certainly was my hope that his absence at the Tech game was kind of a precautionary thing, and Georgia keeping him out of a game that was maybe not nearly as important as the Alabama SEC championship. But come to find out, based on what you saw from uh, Brock during the game, who obviously was a gamer and sort of giving it his best overall effort, and also based on some of the things that you had been kind of hearing leading up to the game, you get the impression that whatever happened for the tag game, that wasn't just simply precautionary. It certainly seems like, to my eyes, that Bowers was not as healthy on Saturday for the Alabama game as he was, like, say, Ole Miss and probably Tennessee there as well. It seemed like there had been some sort of – I'm not a doctor, so don't take this with you know as the gospel truth necessarily, but it seemed like there had been a little bit of a regression with, with Bowers' health compared to this game than – the two other games we saw Bowers come back and play, you know, kind of early November. Yeah, I, I agree uh, totally with that. You know, I think when he came back for Ole Miss, I think, I mean, he, he was ready. I think he, he did everything, all the steps necessary for him to go out and, and play um, at, you know, 95-plus percent. Um, I, I think it happened in the Tennessee game where, where he re-aggravated uh, that ankle, maybe the other ankle, I don't know, um, you know, quite sure, but I, I remember him rolling off to the Tennessee sideline in the Tennessee game and came up limping, and um, I just uh, I knew that that wasn't good from then on out. I think he's just been battling it out uh, since, uh, since that play. Moving on from that, what did you make of an undefeated Florida State, who, by the way, George will play in the Orange Bowl coming up, what did you make of undefeated Florida State not making the college football playoff? There's a lot of controversy around this, some Georgia fans even arguing, myself included, I guess, that UGA should have still been included in the playoff. But uh, beyond that, the hot topic related to, for the very first time, a Power 5 undefeated conference champion being left out of the uh, top four, what did you make of that? Yeah, I mean, there were, uh, there were there were a lot of firsts in this uh, college football playoff ranking. The undefeated Power Five, you know, conference champion being left out. Um, the number one team gets dropped out of the, the out you know, outside the top four, and then you had um, a team outside the top six able to to leapfrog all the way into the final four. So a lot of firsts in this in this playoff scenario. Um, you know, did they get it right? 
personally don't don't believe so. I mean, what what happened to Florida State was uh, I mean, it was it was dirty. I mean, it, it really just hey, the entire season doesn't matter. You know, great job, you did what you did. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it, the the committee didn't didn't feel like that was uh, one of the best four teams to be able to to go and. Um, and, and put out there and, and play and give them a chance for a national championship. So um, it's tough. I know they lost their quarterback. Uh, Ohio State was able to do it. I, mm-hmm. I believe in 2015, you know, when JT Barrett went down and Cardell Jones came in. Yep. Um, you know, and uh, I, I mean, if you look at the stats, the, the quarterback stats that the, the Florida State guys have gone in and played, and you look at J.J. McCarthy's stats uh, at Michigan, they're very eerily similar. Yeah. Uh, if not, maybe even arguably better that the Florida State guys have played better than um, than JJ McCarthy has. So, it, you know, it, it's apples to oranges. At the end of the day, it, it's it's dirty, and um, it, it just really sets a, a weird precedent moving forward. So, when you were obviously at Georgia, you play in the Rose Bowl at the end of the 2017 season, which at the time was the most anticipated Georgia Bowl game in 40 years, and it was the kind of road trip and you know trip that most of us will remember the rest of our lives. And obviously, your Sugar Bowl experience is after that not the same level of excitement around those games. You know, what did you learn from like say 2018 to 2019, where you know maybe you know the the, the Texas preparation wasn't quite what everybody wanted to be. Obviously, Georgia lost that day came back seemingly with a lot more motivation for that Baylor game. At least that was the appearance you would tell me maybe different based on, you know, having been in, in the room there. But, you know, what did you guys kind of learn about how to get ready for a bowl game when you're not quite where you want to be? Because for the Orange Bowl, that's now both these teams, right? I mean, you know, Florida State and Georgia both have a bad taste in their mouth. You know, what did you guys learn about how you do all of that and the, the sort of opt-out era in which we're playing a part of right now? Yeah, um, for sure. So that'll, that'll be something um, that'll be very quickly done is, is decipher who's in and who's out, right? Um, that is something that, that I and we learned um, the difference between 2018 and 2019. Um, you just, you get, and not, these are, are bad guys at all. I'm not, not dogging on the guys, but, you know, when you have guys who aren't, you know, wholeheartedly in for the task at hand, this one game, this one bowl game, um, at the end of the day, they, they become distractions. And so, um, hey, if you're either with us or you're not with us, um, and whoever you're going to battle with, hey, we're going to battle with these guys. Uh, let's get these guys ready to go play and, uh, and make a difference in this game. So um, I would say the level of focus was a lot more um, in that, that 2019 game against Baylor, whereas Texas, you know, I mean, we, we knew we were good. We knew that we should have been given an opportunity, but we didn't. Um, and we, we kind of rolled into that game and, and just thought if we show up, we're going to handle business, mm-hmm. and that, that's not always the case. It's the uh, former Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm joining us right now for a Kroger Fresh Take here on Dog Nation Daily. And by the way, when we speak, uh, and speaking of Kroger, when you think about a great opportunity this holiday season to have more time to enjoy your family and more money to spend on the things that you love here during this Christmas time of year, a great way to have a lot more of all of that is with the brand new membership program from Kroger called Kroger Boost. If you check out Kroger.com slash boost, you can find out more about this and you can get twice the fuel points on the things you're already buying from your local Kroger. You can also get free grocery delivery so you can have more time to enjoy the things you love here during this holiday time of year. So check out Kroger.com slash boost for more on that. That's Kroger.com slash boost for more on that. So Jake, in the time we have left, I want to talk about the decision that came out earlier this week. Brock Vandegrift, not unsurprising, I don't think, 
after not winning the starting quarterback job here this year, Georgia moving on. Uh, there's some chatter he might transfer from with within the SEC and maybe could even be on Georgia's schedule next year if the uh, rumors tr- turn out to be true with some of this kind of stuff. I don't know how much time you've spent around Brock, but what do you think about Brock as a player? And what do you think his prospects for success are now being outside the Georgia program here moving forward? Yeah, I love Brock. Brock's a great dude, man. Really good football player. Um, I mean, honestly, my, my perspective is is, uh, is good for him. Um, obviously, you know, with that decision, you, know, you assume there's an inkling that uh, Carson returns next year. Um, and, I mean, I think – he is. Um, he's done his part. He's done his time, and wants the opportunity to play. Nothing wrong with wanting that opportunity um, to go out and and play and and want to perform and give himself a chance at the next level. So excited to see um, for him where he ends up and uh, what what he does uh, moving forward. And to finish, you know, you mentioned the other kind of dot that some fans will connect. Well, maybe this does mean good news for Carson Beck, who I guess there's been some sentiment lately that he might be you know considering a return. You know, tell me a little bit more about that process for him in terms of trying to get true, accurate information about where he perhaps stands in terms of NFL draft prospect. You know, I think the sense that we get is obviously he's getting a pretty favorable draft opinion here, but perhaps maybe not first round for this particular spring, but maybe coming back next year and have a chance to be a first round pick maybe in 2025. How accurate do you think the information that a guy like Carson gets is? And I know they have like the service that gives them you know, information, things like that what's that like for Carson Beck to try to make the very best decision as far as his future is concerned yeah um you know uh, it's, it's very tough because you know where where do you go to get true and good and accurate information right um so there'll be some uh, third party uh mock draft kind of grades that that come that that comes across Kirby's desk um and, and he'll relay that information to the guys um you know, like sometimes they could be better than, than what's reality. Sometimes they could be worse than what's reality. You just you never quite know. Um, you, you don't really know what's 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 for real. And and at the end of the day, the whole draft process, uh, they're they're gonna they're gonna pick you apart. They're gonna you got to go and throw a thousand times and, and do all these things. So they I see how they say there's a lot of fluidity with the draft grades, and they change so much um, with time and. Uh, you just you never really quite know, and it's it's always really tough to to make that decision on on something that's never really set in stone. Well, Jake, we certainly appreciate your thoughts and all of this because you've obviously had experience with this. The rest of us can't match, so your opinions mean a lot to us. Thank you for being here on a Kroger Fresh Take. Hope you enjoy the uh, rest of your holiday season as the NFL uh, world continues to play out there as well. And we'll look forward to speaking to you right back here on Dog Nation Daily again very soon too. Yeah, awesome, Brandon. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. All right, really good stuff there from the former Georgia quarterback, Jake Fromm. And we have news here breaking during our show about another, I guess now to say, former Georgia quarterback. We'll get to that here coming up in just a little bit. Cruise around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean, will kind of lead us into all of that. And I won't belabor this point too much because we got a lot to get to here. But I do want you to know, that the time we're going to have coming up on our Dog Nation cruise, April of 2024, is going to be unbelievable. I am not built for this time of year, you know, cold, 
got to put the extra layers on. I, I just am not into that, right? I want to. I want to tan. I want to be outside. I want to see the ocean. I want to hear that little, you know, little breeze around me. I want the Caribbean, right? And so, in April of 2024, we all get that chance on board Allure of the Seas. It's our very first time ever having a Dog Nation cruise on an Oasis class ship, which is one of the largest cruise ships at sea. So, if you want. All of the neighborhoods that kind of come. I'm talking about all of the special areas, which Royal Caribbean calls neighborhoods for its uh, largest ship, its Oasis-class ship, like the Central Park and the Boardwalk and the Royal Promenade. You almost just forget you're at sea. These these neighborhoods are so intricate. And it sort of feels like you're in kind of a land-based vacation, but you're actually on the sea. It's just an amazing experience. And if you want the specialty restaurants, the entertainment options that come on a cruise ship of this size, bigger and better than the Dog Asian cruise ever been before, our good friend Jessica Slater can help you out with all of that. You see her contact information, uh, but you can also use the website royaldogs.com. That's royaldogs.com to be a part of the uh, Dog Nation Cruise, April of 2024, on board Royal Caribbean's Allure of the Seas. Cannot wait for that. All right, so we do have information late breaking to our show right now that it is official. The rumor has been confirmed that uh, former Georgia quarterback Brock Vandegrift is now on his way to Kentucky, which if we presume that Vandegrift becomes the starter next season, which would mean that Georgia would face its former quarterback in a game because Georgia does travel to Kentucky next year. We believe it could be relatively early next year. That is the case there on that. Our friends at the Athens Banner Herald have caught up with Greg Vandegrift. Vandegrift Sr. is um, Mr. Vandegrift, Coach Vandegrift, is the uh, coach there at Prince Avenue uh christian in athens and so the athens banner herald the local paper out there catches up with him and he gives a couple of quotes here as to why vandegrift is leaving georgia why he is going to kentucky or starting off greg vandegrift that's that's the coach at prince avenue the 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 father of of brock vandegrift saying we could not control what's going on at georgia He's behind, meaning his son, Brock, is behind a kid that won two national championships and also one that's possibly a first-round pick. So at this point in his career, he just needs to get on the field. And I think that's very pragmatic. I think that's probably the right way to look at this. The one thing I believe that I have come to understand about Brock Vandegrift is I think he can play. And not every five-star can. Like some of the five-stars that come into a program, I mean, the hit rate on some of these guys is only about 50%, or the hit rate on these guys overall is only about 50%. So not every five-star can play. But I have seen enough from Brock Vandegrift to lead me to believe he can play. He can throw. He can run very well. That Brock Vandegrift has a chance to have a terrific career. But you can only play one quarterback at a time. And for now, Carson Beck, older, I think you knew the offense to begin the season better. That was certainly the the chatter. I believe that's, for the most part, been confirmed by Kirby Smart. And Beck had a terrific season, which could, as Greg Vandergriff points out, they were eventually result in him being a first-round pick. So you can't fault Georgia with going with Stetson Bennett. You can't fault Georgia for going with Carson Beck. But Brock Vandergriff is just sort of sitting there saying, yeah, but think about how good I can be when I get a chance to play. And he's going to probably go somewhere else. Not probably, he is. He's going somewhere else now to to show how good he can be and my expectation at kentucky he will do well because i do believe that brock vandergriff is a very promising quarterback prospect now as far as the decision to go to kentucky once again uh from greg vandergriff to the athens banner herald and uh, we'll put a link to this when we post the show says uh what they did with will levis that's the quarterback who was there became a second round pick what they did with Will Levis is a lot like what Brock can do as a quarterback, uh, Greg Vandergriff says. 
it sort of meets his uh, quarterback traits. Also, uh, Liam Cohen, the offensive coordinator, came highly recommended. So once again, uh, explanation from Greg Vandergrift to his hometown paper, the Athens Banner Herald, as to why Brock Vandergrift is leaving Georgia and his hometown of Athens to go up to Kentucky, liking the chance to work with Liam Cohen, looking at the um, template here of what Will Levis was able to do on that team, saying that's the level of success that we also think that Brock Vandergrift might be able to have there. So pretty interesting stuff coming on that. Vandergrift on his way to the University of Kentucky this coming out during our show. So we're watching Georgia players who were leaving. We're also watching Georgia players who are, uh, or should say, former Georgia targets who are announcing their uh, you know, transfers there as well. And a name you'll remember, Lebius L.T. Overton, who was at Milton High School. He reclassified. It was a part of that big, we would say, NIL-induced class for Texas A&M a couple of years ago, is now entering the transfer portal. This is the second high-profile defensive lineman from Texas A&M to announce that he's leaving. Walter Nolan is doing that. We talked about that earlier this week. Now uh, LT Overton is transferring there as well. And you're left to wonder, okay, well, will Georgia be involved with the Overton pursuit here, knowing that it was obviously heavily recruiting Overton in the past and would have, if Overton had not reclassified, would have had a really strong chance of maybe, you know, winning that recruiting battle or maybe even after the reclassification would have had a chance to win that recruiting battle. Here's all I can tell you is that eventually we're going to fully turn our page to getting ready for the 2024 season. Some people are kind of ready for that. Some people aren't quite ready for that yet. We're sort of in that weird in-between time of still kind of looking back on what happened with some look ahead to what will happen in the new year. And I believe the number one directive for Georgia moving forward to kind of talk about why this team was perhaps a little bit different than the 2021 and the 2022 teams were for UGA number one directive is going to be how do you build back up that defensive line now you may never have like four first round picks in the same team the way that Georgia would have had in 2021 with the three that were drafted that year and then uh, Jalen Carter included you may never quite have that same embarrassment of riches ever again but having a little more heft a little more dominance among your defensive line to me that's the biggest difference in Saturday Bama had it Georgia didn't and that's why Alabama ultimately proved to be three points better than UGA there in that game I think it sort of simply just kind of comes down to that so whether it's probably spending big to get a guy like over and out of the transfer portal or or what uh in some cases developing some of the guys you have on your roster one way or another incoming high school recruits possible transfers development of players who've been here georgia needs to get back to dominating on the defensive line again that's defensive tackles that's defensive ends you're going to count the edge guys as a part of that too uh, we can have that discussion there as well georgia just needs to be a little bit more dominant up front defensively so i don't know if overton's coming to georgia or not but these are the kinds of names that georgia probably needs to be involved with to give itself a better chance of uh, doing what perhaps needs to be done there I was going to talk about the NCAA proposal on changing the NIL stuff. Frankly, that's a little bit tedious. I, I, I don't know that we necessarily need to do that here right now. We're kind of coming up on you know decent length in the show anyway. Let me save that for later on, and we'll figure out where all that's going, and we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. What I will do here is give you a shout-out to our friends at the Finish Long Drink because let me tell you this. you got holiday parties coming up. We had a great one last night. Our friends 
from Score Atlanta. I had both Kaylee Manziel and me there celebrating a great year of high school football, but also a phenomenal 20-year run uh, for Score Atlanta, which is something to certainly be very, very proud of. We had a great time with IJ Rosenberg and the whole crew there on that. And of course, we are in that sort of holiday time of year. So when you've got your holiday party coming up, let me recommend our friends at the Finish Long Drink to be a great accompaniment for you on those great holiday parties. The Long Drink Cranberry, the Long Drink Strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume, Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar. I like the traditional. It's in a blue can, got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. Uh, you want the peach flavored version of the of the finished long drink here for a limited time uh try to find out where you can pick some up by going to the longdrink.com putting in your zip code and you can figure all of that out today find out where you can pick some up the longdrink.com that'll tell you near you where the finished long drink is located so find some and enjoy it here during this holiday time of year and as we wrap up we'll give you a golden shoe in light of people still being a little bit upset sec statement on the officiating eh, probably a little bit lacking you know, if we were eight years old, this might work on us. But if we're adults, uh, we kind of see through some of this nonsense. Uh, some fans still upset. That's the theme of our golden shoe here today. We will uh, show you this on the screen. Uh, Bugsy McCollum sending this. <laughs> it's the official sort of hugging. Uh, I should say the Alabama players sort of hugging the official after the game. Uh, I think that's just a funny picture. Uh, funny stuff. Uh, Davis shares that. We'll give him a uh, golden shoe there on that I, you know listen we're not going to blame the alabama loss on the referees the entire time but in the light of the statement from yesterday it seems appropriate to make a little bit fun of them with the golden shoe so we'll do that and lousy stinking gators always easy to make fun of how about 1124 days that's how long it's been since florida's being george that is our gatorator updater we'll see all of you back here tomorrow dog nation daily presented by breda pest management